to the RPC Sermons Podcast. You can join us for virtual worship every Sunday at roswellpress.org. Thanks for listening. Well, friends, we are continuing our summer sermon series, Summer of Love, this morning. And I am so glad that you are here this week because you're in for a really good text. I have to tell you, when I opened up our preaching schedule and I saw the sermon text for the day, I was pumped. It's John 3.16. I was so excited. I get to preach on one of the most well-known scriptures ever. And it's about God's sacrificial love for humans. I mean, even if you don't know a lot about Jesus or the Bible or Christianity, there's chances are that you have heard of John 3.16. I mean, even Keith Urban writes this song that says, John Cougar, John Deere, John 3.16. It says, and I learned everything I need to know from John Cougar, John Deere, and John 3.16. But then I started to think about this, and I realized this might not be as easy as I thought. Not because this text is particularly difficult, But because when we hear something over and over again, we kind of think, okay, we already know that. And we don't really challenge ourselves to go deeper or to see where God might be speaking in a broader context. So this morning, we're going to read a larger portion of that scripture. We're going to read verses 9 through 17. And I would invite you to really listen to this with fresh ears Maybe see if there is a new perspective that you can gain from this passage. But before we read it, let's go to God in prayer. Let us pray. Holy God, help us to open our hearts and our minds to where you're speaking to us and leading us today. God, we know that this is your living word and that you continue to teach us in new ways. Help us to listen and hear and to step out in faith and follow where you might be leading. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Again, this is John chapter 3, verses 9 through 17. Listen now for the word of our Lord. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? And Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Very truly I tell you, We speak of what we know and testify to what we have seen, yet you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you about earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except the one who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that everyone who believes in him may not perish, but have eternal life. Indeed, God did not send the son to the world to condemn the world, in order that the, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. 
Thanks be to God. Before I was a pastor, I was a middle school teacher. And I taught many students who were amazing in all sorts of different ways. But one year in particular, I had a student in my honors classes named Lauren. It did not take me long at all to realize that Lauren was way smarter than me. I mean, sure, she was in sixth grade, so there were things I could teach her, but she was brilliant. For example, for Christmas that year, she wrote each of her teacher's cards about their subject areas. For example, my card was a Christmas poem that rhymed and included all of the major historical occurrences that we had learned about the first half of the year, all while managing to still wish me a Merry Christmas. For her STEM teacher, she wrote the entire card in code, computer code. I loved having her in my class when she would share her thoughts, when she would teach us something new, and even the times that she challenged me. I knew I was out of my league when it came to her and that Lauren would go on to do great things. It's no surprise that she went to Columbia University in New York, graduated at the top 10% of that class, got prestigious awards, and is now doing great things. In our passage that we just read, we have another teacher who realizes he's out of his league. Nicodemus is a teacher. He's a well-respected religious teacher. But in those days, the religious teachers weren't actually very fond of Jesus. Jesus was disruptive. Just weeks before, he was flipping tables in the temple. He's causing all sorts of, of problems. He's kind of proving to be a thorn in their side. But here's the thing. Nicodemus senses that there is something more to Jesus, and he wants to know. He doesn't fully understand the things that Jesus is saying. So he decides to go talk to Jesus, but there's going to be some social risks involved in that because, like I said, he's a thorn in the clergies of that day's side. So he goes to talk to Jesus at night when others could not see. And this wouldn't have been normal behavior. Nicodemus would do the right thing, do the things that people were supposed to do, and he didn't do the things that might be frowned upon. But again, he sensed something. He knew there had to be more. So here we have our original Nick at night approaching Jesus with questions. Before our passage, he actually says to Jesus that he knows that Jesus is from God. And Jesus then answers his questions, telling him about the kingdom of God and what it looks like to belong to the kingdom of God. But Jesus is talking to Nicodemus, and Nicodemus just doesn't get it. And I understand that. We know how the story ends. We know about the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. But Nicodemus doesn't know that yet. Certainly, he has studied the scriptures. He knows them so well. But Jesus is saying some kind of out-of-the-box stuff. I would imagine it's like us trying to understand the second coming of Jesus, right? We've read the scriptures, so we have some ideas of what it might be like. But here's the thing. We only have a limited human understanding, and that is something that is very big and spiritual and divine. 
So Jesus responds to Nicodemus in a way that I find interesting. First, he's, he kind of admonishes, admonishes him. He's like, dude, you're a teacher in Israel. You don't understand. But then, after he admonishes him, he does something that I really love. He tries to explain it to Nicodemus using an example that Nicodemus would understand. He mentioned Moses and the serpent. And what he's referencing here is Numbers 21, where Israel is crying out in the wilderness for deliverance from a plague of deadly serpents. And God tells Moses to, to make an image of a serpent, to put it on a pole and hold it up in the air. And when the Israelites looked at it, they would be healed. Modern day theologian Amy Plantiga Paul describes this significance this way. Paradoxically, all who look upon the symbol of death find healing and life. Jesus too will be lifted up on a cross, a symbol of death. Through his death, he becomes the source of life and salvation for all. And then Jesus goes on to make his famous declaration to Nicodemus. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that everyone who believes in him shall have eternal life. What a bold statement foreshadowing his death, which in turn means life for each one of us. And this tells us so much about the nature of God. Because you see, it was a broken and messed up world then just like it is a broken and messed up world now. But instead of sending a judge to condemn society, condemn humanity, God offers another solution, life through Christ. In fact, in verse 17, he says, God did not send the Son into the world to condemn it, but rather in order to save it when he could have condemned and rightfully so, he chose to save it. In the eight verses that we read today, John uses the word believe four different times. In fact, John uses the Greek word pistuo, which is translated believe, 98 times in his gospel. That is more than the other three gospels combined. He wants desperately for people to believe because as we are reading, the choice to believe is the choice for eternal life. And it is a choice. And I think this also tells us about the nature of God. God doesn't want this one-way thing telling us what to do and making us believe. God wants a relationship. It's a choice to pursue it. And relationships are tricky, right? We don't ever enter into relationships knowing exactly what will happen. You don't start a friendship knowing how it will end. You get to know someone, believing it could be a good thing, and step out in faith, hoping it will enrich your life. It's the same with all relationships, whether it's a job or a spouse or neighbors. We don't know how any of it will end. But oftentimes that stresses us out. We try to think through every single thing, every scenario, know, know the end game. But we really can't do that spiritually. I mean, we do know the end eternal life. But I will tell you that this um, woman, Simone Weil, 
writes in her reflections on the right use of school studies with a view to the love of God, very long title, says that we do not start with an intellectual verification of heavenly things and then proceed to belief. Faith starts in the dark without light, just as Nicodemus' encounter with Jesus did. Faith does not depend on certitude and understanding. These are the fruit of the faith, not its precondition. Trusting our teacher, Jesus, we take a leap of faith. We take the leap of faith before we can see exactly where it's all going to leave. Spiritual certitudes are arrived at by experience. And I think there's so much truth in her words And when we truly trust Jesus, when we believe, it's going to inform all of our actions, everything that we say and do. Because when we believe, it changes everything. Belief is faith in action. Whatever we believe impacts how we act. For example, I believe that that eating healthy and exercising is going to be good for my body. So therefore, that's what I try to do. If I didn't believe that, I'd eat a lot of other things. When we trust Jesus and believe in his promises of rescuing us and giving us the gift of everlasting life, especially when we don't deserve it, how can that not change us? How can we not be changed knowing that the God of the universe comes down to our messy and broken world and doesn't condemn it, but instead offers us love and eternal life. When someone gives you a gift that you appreciate and value, you don't just leave it on a shelf. You say thank you and you use it. Yesterday, I had the privilege of attending one of our dear church members' 96th birthday party. And at the end of the party, she got up to address everyone. And she shared about a gift that she had been given when she was 15 years old. It was a diary. And she really wanted a diary. So she was so thankful. And she didn't put it up on a shelf. She used that diary. You see, she loved poetry. She loved to write poems from other authors. She loved to write her own poetry. And she shared with us yesterday one poem that she wrote in that diary from another author. And it was about footprints. And not the footprints in the sand that you've probably seen everywhere. It was a poem about how we leave footprints wherever we go. And there's people behind us that will follow in our footprints. And she said to us, It's not often I'm able to speak to a group of people that will follow me. But what she wanted to do was encourage us to leave good footprints, faithful footprints that point towards God long after we're gone, that leave a legacy far after our time on earth. She's still using that gift that was given to her 81 years later. But following God can be scary. And it's not always comfortable where Jesus is leading. In fact, oftentimes it's really uncomfortable to step out in faith. And it doesn't guarantee that that bad things won't happen. But we do know that we can trust that Jesus will be with us every step of the way, in the good and in the bad. We know 
that in the end, Jesus loves us so much that he wants to share eternal life with us. That is powerful. He wants to share that with us. Believing is faith in action. So where is God calling you to act? Where is God leading you? Where is your spirit stirring? Listen and be bold. The faithful, albeit scary, response when God calls is to say yes. And when we say yes and trust God more than anything, we know that God will be with us because God loves us, because God so loved the world. And the English language love is so ambiguous. For example, I can say I love God and I love French fries and using the exact same words, but I mean totally different things. I don't worship French fries. The way God loves is more powerful than we can imagine. In fact, one of my best friends wanted to get this tattooed as a reminder on her foot. So I don't guess this is a super normal occurrence at the tattoo parlor we went to. Because when we went, they gave us a big binder of really cute fish to look at. And these weren't like the Ixus fish, like the, the symbol for Christianity. They were like little guppies. And then we realized, when she said she wanted agape tattooed on her foot, they thought she said agape. But this is where Greeks got, the Greeks got something right in their language. They knew that love was a complex thing with many layers. There's the passionate kind of love, like between spouses, that's called eros. There's the affectionate regard for friendship type of love, the philia kind of love. There is the type of love found between parents and children called storge. And then there's agape ultimate type of love, the type of love that is unconditional that God has for humans and God showed through Jesus. And because we've received this great gift of love from Christ, our natural response to that gift should be to put our belief into action, not on a shelf. We need to act. We need to be loving others, even when we don't agree or when they mess up. We need to step out in faith, even when it's scary. We don't have to be the most equipped. God doesn't call the equipped, but God equips the call. And we are all called to something. And we can trust God to use us to make a footprint that helps others pursue a life of faith and trust in God. Sometimes we're better at this than others. Sometimes we're better at being faithful and listening. See, here's the thing, that God's presence never changes. It's just our awareness of God's presence. I think about that often when I, I'm living life as, am I, am I aware of where God is leading? Am I aware of where God is speaking? Am I aware of God in each moment? And sometimes it's easier than others. Recently, I don't think I was very aware. God was kind of hitting me over the head with something. So we went on a beach vacation with, with my family and my parents and my sister's family. And my parents brought this book. And they're like, your cousin, distant cousin, 
was a pastor and he wrote this and it's so good. It's full of essays. And my dad's like, you could definitely use these in a sermon somewhere. And so I read an essay and it was really good, but I really didn't give the book another thought. Anyway, later on the next week, I stopped by their house and that same book was sitting on my parents' kitchen table. And I said, you know, can I take that home? My mom said, sure. I read a couple more essays. They were great. And then I thought, this book looks familiar. And I went upstairs, and this is, I think, a God thing too, because our house is in shambles because of uh, renovations. So everything from our first floor is stored in one room right now. I walked into that room where it's stored, and right there was the same book. And it was gifted to me on the day that I graduated seminary by my grandmother. And I was pretty ashamed because here I was given this gift and I put it on a shelf. I read a few more essays and they were great, but I put it down. As I was writing this sermon, I couldn't shake this feeling that I needed to read more. I'd already done all my research, but like, like Nicodemus, I listened to the nudge and I thought, okay, maybe there's something more that needs to be said in this sermon. There are amazing stories, even a poem on faith. But I decided to read the essay for which the book is titled, Waiting for the Wind. And when I read it, I was reduced to tears because this is what faith in action looks like even in the face of death or rather eternal life. And I wanted to share it with you. I'll summarize the beginning. He's a pastor and he's talking about this Irish woman in his congregation who is old and frail, but just a wonderful conversationalist. But then she developed a malignancy and went to the hospital for surgery and an extended period of recovery. Things just didn't go well and she became weaker and weaker. Then one day, as I started to leave, after a brief prayer at her bedside, she clung to my hand and I tarried to hear her say, Pastor, I must tell you this. I'm afraid. I'm afraid to die. Will you talk to me about dying? I looked down at that once ruddy face, now so pale, surrounded by a halo of white hair, and felt the intensity of her question. This was no Irish humor or teasing. She meant it. And what would I say? I remembered a verse from Paul's letter to the Philippians. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. The time of my departure is at hand. I quoted that verse to her, and then I told her something that my great and beloved Greek professor had told us one day, that the Greek word analusis, which we translate as departure, is really a sailor's word, a word taken from the lingo of the sea. It's about the tang of the salt air, the rattling of the sails against the masts, the subdued excitement of a ship all loaded with its cargo, sails up and ready, waiting for a favorable wind to pull the anchor and cast off for a new destination and a prize at the journey's end. Dying is like that when your faith is in the risen Lord, I said. I held her hand a while as she thought about it. She nodded her head and closed her eyes. When I came back the next day, she was much weaker. No talking now, just whispers. So I bent over to say in her ear, here I am again just coming by to tell you that we all love you and we're standing by. Is everything all right? She lifted a hand and I took it. I put my ear close to her lips and I heard her whisper ever so clearly, my sails are up, 
I'm waiting for the wind. In the verse before our passage today, Jesus said to Nicodemus, The wind blows where it chooses, and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it, so it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Friends, I pray that we may all grow in the life of faith, ready to say yes to God, stepping out and believing even when it's hard so that we might make a footprint that might lead others towards God and point to his love. And may we always trust that God will be with us every step of the way in this life on earth and in heaven. You've been listening to the RPC Sermons Podcast. Please let us know you're here by visiting roswellpress.org and signing our digital friendship register. May the grace and love of God be with you today and throughout the rest of your week. Thanks for listening.